Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. It is great to be back with you. And I don't know about you, but seeing stories like that are really helpful to me because we hear so much bad news in our culture. We hear about what's wrong. We are bombarded with stories of of just the horrible things and the scary things that are happening around us that when we get to see a story of God bringing transformation, not just to an individual, not just to a family, but to an entire country, it's just incredibly refreshing. And the what's happening in Rwanda is a phenomenal story. And at MRN, we've been connected to ATN from the beginning, and you have as well. And it's just a phenomenal thing to think about what God's doing there. And I'm going to talk with you about that a little more. But but I just want to camp down on this idea that we in America are stuck in a negative news loop that has people really sort of panicking. And we have lost an awareness of really how many great things God is doing in the world. I'm not sure exactly when it started that we began to obsess around everything that was wrong and we began to be very fear-oriented as a culture, but that's where we are now. But I do know that something fundamentally changed on 9-11 because if you remember right before 9-11, we had sort of a spirit of triumph as Americans. The Cold War was over. The long nightmare that had kind of hung over us ever since the end of World War II seemed to be ebbing away. We weren't facing the, the communist bloc that we were afraid was going to nuke us. And, and we kind of had this period of time when America was the only world superpower. We weren't really afraid of anybody. And then 9-11 absolutely burst our bubble. Radical Islamic terrorism all of a sudden became an existential threat for us. They could attack us here on our homeland. We got this really harsh reality check, and then it just set off a series of things. Wars in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, the Arab Spring of 2011, revolutions around the Mediterranean, the Syrian civil war, refugees, terrorist attacks all over the world. Every week it seemed like there was some kind of terrorist attack. The Russians reemerged as a threat, and they began to try to attack us through cyber warfare. They took over the Ukraine and the Crimea. They started a civil war. They took over that. And then they're engaged in election tampering. And then North Korea reemerges as a threat. And the the dynasty there of the Kims are looking at creating uh, the potential of nuclear warfare threat coming out of what looks like just to be an absolutely crazy sort of regime. China reemerges as a new threat again, and they're tampering into our election, and they're tampering with what's happening in in our country. Iran looks like they become a, a new threat as well. And if you remember, we even assassinated one of their high military leaders in the last few years, and the U.S. is caught in a, a rapid transformation of our culture, redefining some kind of fundamental things that we thought were solid about culture and family. The church is in decline. We're told that the rising of the nuns, the people who have no faith at all in a decade, grew by 10%. And and it's just going to be dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, everywhere you look, everything's falling apart. And Facebook and Twitter are constantly sending us algorithms to scary and scarier news stories. So we could go down these rabbit holes of fear and terror and attacking each other. We had panic going on, a crazy election cycle, an insurrection, racial protests, polarized of the last several years and everybody is just on edge and everybody's throats. Then it's like everything is just falling apart. And everywhere I go around the United States, everybody that I talk to in the United States, 
is just dealing with so much fear and polarization and everybody's afraid to talk about anything because no matter what you say, somebody gets upset and accuses you of attacking this group or that group. And we can be forgiven as American Christians if we want to look at God and say, God, what in the world are you doing? What is happening? Well, that emotional context, that fear, that polarization that we feel right now is the same kind of emotional context into which Jesus was born. It's the same kind of emotional context into which the gospel was given birth on the day of Pentecost. It's the same kind of emotional context that produced Saul of Tarsus and that he was responding to because the nation of Israel was teetering on the edge of oblivion. They had been overtaken by the Romans. Their existence as a nation was barely on the edge of survival. They felt like at any moment, if they made the wrong political move, Rome would come and absolutely devastate them, pulverize them. They didn't even have control of their own temple. The high priest had to go to the Romans to get his vestments to put on to worship for holy days. And then after they were over, he had to take them back. The Fortress Antonia was a Roman fortress built right beside the temple, overlooking it. They were under Roman domination, and they were all at each other's throats. And the zealots said, we need to pick up arms and engage in terrorist acts to drive the Romans out of here. And the Sadducees said, no, we've got to make a deal with the political powers that be. And we've got to recognize that if we don't behave ourselves, we're going to be obliterated. And the Pharisees said, we need to just go be back and observe the Bible and, and do everything it says. As a matter of fact, if we could get all the people of God to observe the holiness code of the priests and be that pure, then God would send a Messiah to save us. And the Herodians and the Essenes, they, the Essenes going off in the desert, just waiting for destruction to come. Everybody with each other's throats, polarization. And that's the mentality that got Jesus killed. And we often fail to recognize that when we read the gospels. But in John chapter 11, verses 48 through 50, we have this quote as the leaders of Israel are trying to figure out what to do with Jesus with the resurrection of Lazarus. And it reads like this, if we let him go on like this, if we let Jesus go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. It's really not relevant who Jesus is or whether what he's saying is true. What he's doing is going to destroy our nation. We have to kill him if we want to survive. This is not rational thinking. Did he raise Lazarus from the dead? It's irrelevant. People are going to believe this. It's going to be the end of our nation. They are thinking with their brain stem, not with their brain. And do you know why that is? Because the way the human brain works, fear destroys faith. Fear blocks our ability to see and think correctly. The the frontal cortex of the brain, that part of the brain that's engaged in rational activity and can think logically and process, that part of the brain that we have to activate in order to have faith and make decisions based on evidence and actual something besides just emotion, that part of the brain actually shuts down when our fear level rises to a certain level. And we begin to think with, the inner core of the brain that is just an emotional, fear-based part of the brain. And when, when, when our anxiety rises to a certain level, we become irrational. 
and we move into fight, flight, or freeze syndrome. And that's where we are as a nation, and that's where Jesus was as a nation, and that uh, the, the people of Israel were in Jesus' day as a nation. That's where they, we, we were. And that's a real problem when we are supposed to be people who are driven by love instead of fear. But what I want us to understand is when the gospel was born, God's nation was terrified. They saw only disaster, and that's why Saul of Tarsus arises and begins to persecute the Christians. We've got to stomp this out before it's the end of our nation. And yet, in spite of that, in spite of how horrible things look, in spite of how fearful everybody was, in spite of the fact that in their fear they crucified the Son of God, God was doing amazing things that were going to transform not only Israel, but the whole world. Because God often does his best work when it seems like things are most out of control. And we need to hear that. Because despite how things look to the Jews in Jesus' day, God was about to transform the whole world with a salvation designed for all the nations, not just trying to rescue or restore Israel. Because the gospel was not about making Israel great again. It was about saving and healing and uniting all the nations. And despite how things look to us right now as American Christians, and despite how they feel to us, which is more important, globally, Christianity is doing phenomenally well. Christianity is the world's fastest growing religion. The Muslims are having more babies, so they're growing by birth, but they're not having the conversions. Christianity is growing incredibly rapidly. For example, the church in China in 1948, Mao Zedong, the communist revolution takes place. Beginning in about 1950, they begin a persecution of the church. And by the year 1970, Christianity has been essentially obliterated in China as far as we knew. There were maybe 3 million Christians in China in 1948, driven underground, property confiscated, seminaries confiscated. Any priest, pastor, or religious Christian leader who would not swear allegiance to the Communist Party over Christ was thrown in prison, beaten, or killed. We thought Christianity had been obliterated in China, and it wasn't until the 90s with the opening up of the bamboo curtain with, under, Mao Zedong, um, under uh, Deng Xiaoping that Journalists were able to get in and found out that the gospel went underground and exploded, and there had been this church growth movement of house churches, and Christianity had grown to nearly 10% of the Chinese population. Today, it is at least 10%. There are probably between 1.2, uh, 10% of 1.2 billion people, so about 120 million to 160 million active Christians in China. There are more people worshiping Jesus in China this weekend than there will be in all of Europe, probably in all of the United States. They are sending more foreign missionaries than America is. They're sending missionaries. They have a vision to take the gospel back through the Islamic territories down the Silk Road to Jerusalem. It's amazing what's happening among Chinese Christians today, but we don't hear those stories. A hundred years ago, Africa was less than 10% Christian by any definition. Today, Africa is about 50% Christian. There are about a billion Christians in Africa. It's the most Christian continent. What God is doing in Africa is absolutely mind-boggling. They are now envisioning taking the gospel to the rest of the world. And you have been deeply involved with that. I don't know of any story over the last 15 years better than the story of what's happened in Rwanda. And ATN and 
the group of people you saw there, Charles Cabeza, Charles Mapinto, Zamatasha, uh, Charlotte, the various leaders that you saw there are amazing leaders. It is primarily Rwandan-led. The Americans are almost all out, and God has used that effort to redeem people who went through the genocide of Rwanda to plant over 400 churches, over 7,000 baptisms. And that was since 19, that was in 2018, the last year that I got numbers. And, and it's grown well beyond that now. And we're talking about the transformation of thousands upon thousands of families are impacting a nation. Hundreds and hundreds of street children who've been reunited with their families. Hundreds and hundreds of women who have been rescued from prostitution and given hope and life skills, agricultural, vocational skills, water wells, various sorts of ways that just demonstrate the love of God, invite people into a conversation about the love of God, and then produce Bible studies and transformations of communities. What God is doing in Rwanda is mind-boggling, and it's spilling over the borders into all of the neighboring nations. You're a part of that story but do you even know the story you're a part of? God is on the move today just like he was in the days of Pentecost. I was at a missions conference in 2019, shortly before the pandemic, and I heard Leith Anderson say that if you count globally, on average, 3,000 people give their life to Jesus every hour of every day somewhere around the planet, which means every hour of every day is another Pentecost, not just all at one place. In 1900, 80% of Christians lived in North America or Europe. But by 2000, only 37% of Christians lived in North America or Europe. Now, some of that is the decline of Christianity in Europe. But most of that is the explosion of Christianity in what's called the global south, South America, sub-Saharan Africa. And then somehow East Asia gets loaded into that, even though they're north of the equator. But the global south... The, what we call the majority world church now is the majority of the church, far and away. The U.S. is one of the few places where the church is either plateaued or in decline. And it's really only among white middle-class populations of the United States that it's in decline, among people of color, amongst immigrants. Christianity's on the rise in our country, but we don't track those stories, so we don't hear them. Globally, we are living in the golden era of the mission of God, and we're all wringing our hands like everything's falling apart because we don't hear these stories. Now, how has that happened? How is it possible that we have had the explosion of Christianity worldwide, the vast majority of Christians now outside the West, massive expansion of Christianity? How did that happen? Well, two things. One, churches like this one have stayed engaged and faithfully supported gospel works around the world. So thank you for doing that, caring enough about the world to make sure the gospel goes to other nations. But the second reason, the far more important reason is very simple. God is still on the move. He is not dead. He's not even tired. God isn't even old. He just is. He's still the Lord of the harvest. He's not given up on his mission. Now, we are being pruned by the farmer who's come into the vineyard with a knife, and we've got a lot of deadwood in the church in America, and sometimes it's hard to tell if you're being cut back or cut off, but we're being pruned to be more fruitful. But God is still leading his mission globally and locally. Did you know that the majority world church, that outside the West, 
The majority world church has 70% of the world's Christians, but they only have 17% of the church's money. Where do you think the rest is? And the U.S. has a lot more to share than money in this global enterprise. We are constantly asked at MRN to help with leadership training, education, medicine, a variety of other things that Americans can bring to the global church to come alongside the great leaders that God is raising up around the world. But the era has has shifted. No longer is the primary reason Americans need to be involved in missions for what we can teach them. The primary reason for us to be engaged in global missions is what we can learn from them. You see, the research and development wing of the church is outside the West. We need to be involved to help finance it because we have disproportionate finances, but we need to be involved in those stories for what we can learn. Because if we want the church to grow here, we better pay attention to what God is doing there. We do not have the expertise in many, many things. We need to go humble and say, please teach us how to recapture what God is doing among you. And the greatest opportunity of our lifetimes has just happened in the last few years, and that's the opening up of the Muslim world for the first time in 1,400 years. For 1,400 years, since 610, when Muhammad began to share his visions, the Muslim world has been essentially unreachable, but now it is wide open. ISIS, the various wars and revolutions around the Mediterranean, all of that stuff that happened with the Arab Spring, all of the conflicts, the terrorism, the wars, all of the civil wars that are going on have turned the hearts of the population of Muslim people away from Muslim extremism, have caused them to question Muhammad. They are looking for answers, and so many of them are now fleeing the countries of their origin and are coming as refugees into Europe where they have open access to the gospel and they have religious freedom. More Muslims have come to Christ in the last 15 years than the previous 1,400 years combined. In 2016, we sent one of our staff to a Muslim evangelism conference on an island in the Mediterranean to check out the stories we were hearing. And he came back and he said, among other things, one of the things he heard was a brother got up from Morocco to give his country report, and he began by saying, I thank God for ISIS because they are making it possible for my people to hear about Jesus. I cannot tell you how many people I have met who are former Muslims who said, we are tired of Muhammad. He is a man of war. We need Jesus. He is a man of peace. The massive migration of Muslims by the millions from the Middle East to Europe has created an unprecedented access to the gospel. People are moving from inaccessible places of the gospel to accessible places. And yet, even still today, 86% of Muslims have never met a Christian. They have almost no access to the gospel. 1.2 billion people. In 1979, Iran maybe had 300 Christians, maybe 500, I'm sorry, Christians in 1979 when the Shah of Iran was deposed and the Ayatollah Khomeini came in. But did you know that today the country that has the fastest growing church in the world is Iran? With an annual growth rate of 12 to 19%, there may be as many as a million Christians in Iran out of 70 million, um, probably more like 600,000. And that's despite severe persecution, imprisonment, sometimes beheadings, and yet there's such desperation there for the gospel. And when they flee and they come into Europe, they are so open to the gospel. 
God is sending visions and dreams to Muslim refugees. Four out of seven refugees from the Muslim world who come to Europe when they meet with Christians report having had visions and dreams of Jesus. And I probably wouldn't believe that if I hadn't talked to so many former Muslims who told me about visions and dreams that they had of Jesus. And if we had time, I would love to tell you those stories today. If you come to the Bible class afterwards, I'll share some of those with you. So when we began to hear this in 2016, we began to mobilize and put teams around the med rim to prepare for really engaging this incredible opportunity. We now have four teams in two countries on the ground. We've got another team getting ready to go to a third country uh, that's getting ready to launch. We have other people in the training pipeline, and you're partnering with us in that that Caleb and Jenny, who were part of the work in Rwanda and part of that amazing movement of church planting that happened there, have now become part of the Med Rim. They're currently living in a North African country that I can't say out loud uh, online, uh, and they're living in a, a Muslim context. They're learning uh, French and they're learning Arabic. Uh, and they're learning the culture, but they're going to serve as our field training coordinators for all of the teams who are in the region, playing an absolutely essential role in reaching Muslim background people. But already we're seeing transformation. I just want to tell you the story of, of Merdad. I think we've got a picture of Merdad performing a baptism. I'm sorry we have to pixelate the faces, but when these people come to Christ, they become targets for violence in the refugee uh, campgrounds. Uh, but uh, Merdad was... Uh, a Christian, I mean, was, I'm sorry, a Muslim background believer, kind of a non-practicing Muslim. He was put in prison for his criminal activity. He was engaged in extortion, part of a crime ring. But he met some Christians in prison who were being tortured for their faith, and he wanted the joy and the purpose that he saw them have. And he heard them talk about their living God, and he wanted to know about that God. And so after he got out of prison, he went searching for Christians. He ended up being a refugee in Turkey. He found some Christians who led him to Christ. He's now being mentored by some of the missionaries who are part of the Med Rim. And in 2019, the fall of 2019, when we were there to visit with him, he had already baptized 500 Muslim background people into Christ. He is now working, he and his wife, with a, a couple. Actually, he's from Hungary, she's from Japan, but they're sent by Americans to reach Middle Eastern people in Europe. That's the world we live in. But they're partnering with them, and they are making disciples like crazy. People who have found Jesus in Greece, in a border country, have now moved to nine other countries and started churches in Europe. And they are dreaming of taking the gospel back to their home countries of Syria, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, when they can get back into their home countries. So what in the world is God doing? What are you doing, God? God's bringing people from every nation, race, tribe, and language together to form one people, which will comprise the new heaven and the new earth where God lives in our midst. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself of our peace, who made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. God has turned enemies of nations into brothers in Christ. As one Afghani brother told me, we used to be two, but now we are one. God was far away, but now Jesus lives in here and you are my brother because the love of Christ heals the world. So don't pay any attention to all that distorting news that just wants to use fear to sell advertising. God is doing amazing things in the world today. It's a great time to be alive and love Jesus. God is transforming every 
people, race, tribe, and tongue. And he is asking us to just join him on his mission to redeem the world. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm pumped up. I, I, thank you, Dan, for such a powerful message, man. It, it's, uh, it was wonderful to hear. It's really exciting to be able to get a refresher in what God is really doing over here, and I, I appreciate that. I want to close this out by uh, maybe drawing a little bit of a metaphor. It, when we uh, send our military overseas, uh, in our, we, we send our soldiers over there, um, the soldiers don't go alone. They're, they're never by themselves. They always have somebody to uh, cook for them. They have people that take care of their Jeeps. Their families sometimes go over there um, and families with you know, they have real problems like real families do. They have real marriages with kids with real problems, just like uh, you and me do. And it turns out that whenever we send missionaries abroad, those missionaries um, have the same kind of challenges and have the same kind of needs. They have real families. They have real problems. They're, they're not perfect. They're, they're not exactly Jesus, but they're just trying to be like Jesus. And we need to be their supporting uh, backing army. We need to be uh, their... Uh, help. We need to be their prayer warriors. We need to come visit them in Kumba, Rwanda. That's coming up in May. We need to come visit them on some of the mission, uh, the uh, vision trips that MRN is going to host. And I think there is a role for each and every one of you uh, that wants to be involved. If you're interested in any of those things, come talk to me or Todd or Dan or any of us, and we'll be glad to help you understand how you can uh, enlist in, in this uh, great effort. One of the ways that you can uh, help out, not just today, but also next week when uh, Todd is going to bring a lesson, is by looking at those uh, pledge cards that you have. So yes, they need uh, prayers and they need uh, love. Frankly, they also need money. You know, uh, they need to be able to be supported over there and helped out in a lot of the practical ways of the world. So that's uh, where you come in. Um, for our, uh, this year, our total, all the funding for missions comes from this one-time contribution. We're looking for just a little around uh, 150K. So you can do your part by pledging or giving next Sunday uh, uh, during the service next week. Um, after uh, Immediately after this, um, I think Dan alluded to just down this hall and all the way towards the end towards our uh, teen center, you're going to get to be able to hear directly from Caleb and Jenny. We're going to have a Zoom session with them, and Dan's going to be able to talk a little bit more about what God is doing there in the med rim. So to close this out today, I'd like to leave you with the uh, same words and the same benediction that Jesus left his disciples uh, at, at the end of Matthew. Jesus said, Go into all the world, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I'll be with you to the end of the age. We're dismissed. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Twitter. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.